And uh, everybody else, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Let me give you a, uh, a good report. So uh, this uh, last uh, week on Saturday, uh, Saturday night, uh, Saturday afternoon, Cole Parker uh, was baptized uh, out at uh, kind of the Simmel family farm. Pastor Andrew did that, and it was a joyous occasion. Uh, tonight at around 6.15 at Chris and Callie Castors, uh, the Williams group will be hosting a baptism for Karen James. Uh, she's a third service lady. And then next week, uh, out at the TV Bond Pond, right after uh, the third service, um, Ellie and Jonathan Baird will be baptized. And so uh, I think this is, uh, we're on, I think we're on about eight or nine baptisms uh, once Ellie and Jonathan's is completed from August till now, which is really exciting. And uh, we've had a string of pond baptisms. And I tell you what, I'm just super anxious to see how long will these go into the winter? That, that, that's, that's the real question. Um, the one in August was significantly warmer than the one I did a couple weeks ago. And uh, Pastor Andrew said the one yesterday was pretty cold. And uh, next week uh, should be even more chilly. So we're just going to see how tough people are. And uh, that's an, that's, it's exciting no matter what. Um, people publicly identifying with Jesus as their king. That Chris is, and Callie's pool is heated. Chris and Callie's pool is heated. That's not fair. Pastor Gary's always taking the cheap route. What's wrong with him? All right, Exodus 20 is where we're at today. So we've been moving through um, the book of Exodus so far. But really, what we're moving through is the life of Moses. Okay, so we've been on a series uh, through the life of Moses, we started in Exodus 3 in the burning bush, and uh, we've just kind of been piecing our way through uh, the events of kind of Moses' life or significant events of Moses' life. And so today, uh, we're at the Ten Commandments is where we're at today. And so Exodus 20 is one of two places in uh, the Old Testament that you're going to find the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 5 is the other place. And so we're going to look at Exodus 20. Uh, this morning. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 21, then we'll pray and we'll get started. So Exodus chapter 20, and I'm going to begin reading at the first of the chapter, verse 1, and go through verse 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in it, in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant, your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God that the Lord your God is giving to you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Father, we are asking you this morning uh, to open our eyes to see uh, your majesty, God, to see your glory, Father, to see uh, how much you love us, your steadfast love, uh, God, that we might see this morning your incredible character. And Father, that we might, out of love and through faith, uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might want to keep your commands, uh, that we might want to fellowship with you and be near to you and have communion with you and and relate well with you, God, that, that, that it may go well with us. Father, we are asking that you remove every distraction, that you would focus our minds and our hearts uh, to the word this morning, that you'd produce obedience through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the, the Ten Commandments uh, may be one of the most recognizable passages of Scripture in the Bible. Uh, uh, can you name them? Could you name all ten? Could you just rattle off all ten uh, in order? I, I think if you ask most Americans, they probably could not. Uh, but I think most all Americans would uh, recognize the idea of the Ten Commandments and at least some of the Ten Commandments. I think most people would get, you know, don't murder and don't steal and don't lie. They would, they would probably get those. Um, but, but how should we think about these commandments today? It, it, it's, a difficult, uh, it's a difficult passage to preach on, honestly. Uh, let me just kind of give you a little bit of my struggle this morning. So, so what do I do with the Ten Commandments? Well, option one is we do ten sermons. Uh, that actually is really appealing to me. I've done that in the evening before when we used to have evening service. Uh, there's a lot to unpack in each one of those. Uh, that was appealing to me. I could have skipped them. Uh, I could have done that. Uh, we could do two sermons. Uh, they're kind of split in in two parts, right? There's there's the guy the commandments that, that relate you relating to God, and then that's one through four, and then you relating to other people. That's six through ten, and uh, that's really sort of what we're going to do. But why 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 is there a little bit of an angst there? Well, here's why there's an angst there, uh, and, and here's why actually when you when you look at some of the famous preachers like Charles Spurgeon, man, Charles Spurgeon preached maybe more sermons than anybody alive. He, he hardly preached at all in Ten Commandments, okay? Now, why, why would that be? You know, a guy like John Piper, who, pre, who preached, I think, like 10 years through the Book of Romans, I think he has like two sermons on the Ten Commandments. And you might just ask, well, when? This is such a foundational uh, passage of Scripture. Why, why, would, why would we, why would preachers today, why would, why would we not, you know, hammer on them more? Well, let me, let me tell you, I think the reason why, and certainly the angst in my heart, okay? There is a default setting in mankind, all right? The only, the only way I can explain it to you is it is deeply embedded. I, I, it's, not, it's not something I don't think that is directly taught. 
I think it's something that's like hardwired into your lost DNA, into, into our kind of our, our old fleshly nature. And, and what it is, is that, is that we automatically think we can be saved by being a good person. Okay. Interesting thing is, I'm not just talking about Americans. I'm talking about Hindus and Muslims and Taoists and secularists and Mormons and New Agers and redneck good old boys. Okay. Now, if you if you take that group of people, man, there there is there is incredible worldwide diversity in that group of people, and yet this concept that I'm okay with God and I'm okay when I die because I'm a good person that is deeply rooted in all people. Of, of all nationalities all around the world. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I, I think it's part of our prideful lostness, okay? In fact, the, the scary thing, and this is probably why preachers pull away a little bit from, from hammering too much on the Ten Commandments is, when I, I've had this experience numerous times. I, I've been talking to somebody who is a self-proclaimed Christian for decades. Uh, they've been in church for decades, and I'll ask him kind of a common question that a pastor would ask somebody, which is, well, hey, you know, are you sure of your salvation? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? And they'll say, yes, I am. And then I'll ask the question, well, you know, how do you, how do you know? What are you basing your assurance on? You know, how do you know that you're going to go to heaven? And they will say this incredibly frightening thing. They'll say something to the effect of, well, you know what? I, 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 I'm a good person. I, I try to do right. Uh, I, I try to live by the Ten Commandments. Okay, uh, let me just tell you: whenever somebody says that, partic- I expect that from a lost person. But whenever a, a professing Christian who's been in church says that, I, I almost like I have this terror inside of me. All right, like this genuine sulking in my my gut, like that. And here's what I hope. And I think it is true sometimes. I think many times the person just isn't very good at articulating their faith. They haven't thought that through. It's a gut check reaction, but it still terrifies me, okay? Because here's the terrifying thing. If they believe, if they really believe what they just said, they're going to hell. They will burn forever in hell. I mean, that's what's scary about that. Like, that's the wrong answer. That, if that's where you're at today, if I would ask you, hey, why do you think you're right with God? Why do you think? And, and if your answer is, if your answer is, for why do you think you're not going to go to hell and you're going to go to heaven? If your answer is, well, I try to be a good person. I try to live by the, the Ten Commandments. You are lost. You're under the wrath of God. Like, if that's your genuine heart response, you have no hope at this moment of being being in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why these are dangerous a little bit. Now, they're not dangerous, but if we get them wrong, they are, okay? So we, we, we can't afford to do that today, okay? So a sermon on the Ten Commandments, can't, you can't leave here. Please do not leave here saying, well, man, I got those. Check one, one, two, three, four. We did four today. I got them all. I'm on the list, you know? Or, or here, here's... Here's really what people often do. We are incredibly good at manipulating commands. We're incredibly good at manipulating the rules. Okay, here's what I learned from my children. If you let them make the rules for a game, they will always win, okay? 
Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like three years old, four years old. You know, have you ever, have you ever played with kids that age, you know? And they're like, you know, e- even like, like playing army with my sons. It's like, I always got crushed. I always got, you know, it's like, and whenever I'd crush them, they're like, no, you can't do that. No, no, that, that doesn't make me die. You know, no, that your, your bazooka doesn't work on me. You know what I mean? It's just like, like you can't ever win, you know? Uh, I mean, if, if they're making the rules, they're always going to win. And, and listen, whenever people think about commands, they always make the rules. I mean, that's, that's why it doesn't work. It, it's always, well, I, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm better than. And man, can't we all find people that we're better than, huh? I mean, that, that's just so easy. That's easy pickings to look around and find somebody that I'm better than. I'm more generous than them. I'm more genuine than them. Well, maybe they're more this, but I'm more that. And, you know, I know who they really are. And, and this is what I, and I've had this happen to my life, and they haven't had that happen to my life. And if they'd had this, I mean, man, when you make the rules, you just, you always win. And, and, and so what you find is that you have a world full of people making their own rules and manipulating the commands so that they always come across on the righteous side. Man, who did Jesus deal with most in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And what, what was their game? It was that. It was, it was all these rules. They didn't stick with the 10, by the way. They had like 600, you know? So how many feet you could walk on the Sabbath and, and, and how many steps you could go here. And how there you say this and that and, and little things they wore in your head. I mean, they, they just made rule after rule after rule after rule, leveraging them all so that they came out on the good side, and everybody else is on the bad side. But here's the reality. No one, no one ever, not one, no one in, in, in all eternity except Jesus Christ. Here's what Romans 3.10 says. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Romans 3.20 By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so if your strategy is, I'm going to obey the Ten Commandments, that's how I'm getting to heaven, you you will perish in eternity in hell. Bible tells us that when Adam fell, Adam the first man, and when he fell, there's this, there's this chain, if you will, this DNA strand connecting all of us to the first man. When he fell, we all fell. It's like someone, they're all connected together. Someone dives off a cliff, pulls everybody off. That's exactly what happened. We all fell in sinfulness. And then practically, we, we haven't cut the commandments. We don't. We can't. Galatians 3.11, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Well, pastor, what, what about 9 out of 10? What about 8 out of 10? You know, I mean, that, that makes sense to us, right? Like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I broke that first one, you know, when I was a little, little but, you know, I've kept the others. And, you know, that, that's, that's a game people like to play. Listen to, listen to James 2.10. James 2.10 says this, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it, all right? So, so James tells us that, that if, if, you, if you break one, if you, if, you, if you miss one, okay, you've actually broken them all. And, and what James is pointing out is, is that God's law is not like these 10 steps. It, it's, it's this interconnected, like, like think, think with me here for a second. Is it even possible to break the sixth commandment without breaking the rest of them? You know, can, 
Can, can you have a murderous heart towards someone and not be an idolater? And not, and not be a liar and not be a thief? And not, no, no, you really can't. Can, can you break any of the other commandments without breaking the first two? No. I mean, you can't. If you dishonor your parents or you steal or you lie or you deceive or you break a promise or you lust or you commit immorality, you're also committing idolatry. You're essentially preferring something over God. Whenever you lie in your heart, you prefer your reputation, your success, your personal advancement over God, over his truth. You're basically saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't believe what you say. You're essentially saying, God, you're wrong and I'm right. That very action is basically saying, I am God. You're setting yourself against God. When you break the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. And when you desire what you ought not desire, when you're discontent unless you have something that God has said is not good for you, you've broken all the other commandments. You're an idolater. In fact, Ephesians 5, 5 says covetousness is idolatry. And so here's the reality. You can't. You haven't, you won't keep the commandments, okay? That's the bad news today. Let me, though, tell you the good news, okay? The good news is Jesus kept them, okay? When, when Jesus came in Matthew 5, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. Generations after generations after generations of people had, had completely tore apart the law with their lives. And Jesus came to live the perfect life. He came to obey the law. He came to be righteous in God's eyes. And because of him, because of his righteous life, we can repent of our sins, put our faith in him, be joined to him, and we can be righteous through his imputed righteousness. I know that's a, that's a word we don't use a lot, but basically imputed means it's put into your account. All right? So his righteousness is put into my account. That's the only way anybody in this room, anybody in the world, the only way they can be righteous is through Jesus' imputed righteousness. Okay. I hope we got that straight. Please let me have that. Let's have that straight. Please do not. Please do not in 10 years. Please don't don't have me at your deathbed and me say, you know, hey, how are you? You know, what is your hope in? Please do not say, well, I've just tried to be a good person. I've tried. Please don't. I'm going to say, weren't you there that day? You can't be saved that way. All right. Let's put that aside. Now, the other question, well, does that mean we don't need the commandments? Does that mean, well, none of these matter then, you know? Absolutely not, okay? Their purpose is more than just to show us that we need a Savior. I mean, that, that is the purpose. I mean, Galatians says the law is like a tutor to lead us to Christ, right? And so hopefully you, you, you see the commands, you're like, man, I've broken them. I, I, I've lusted in my heart. I've, I've been angry when I shouldn't have been angry. I've dishonored my parents. I've, I've, I've coveted. I've, I've lied. I've, I've taken things that I shouldn't have taken that were not mine. I've, I've been an adult. Hopefully all of those lead you to say, man, I need a Savior. But it goes even beyond that. Okay, those of us who are joined to the Savior, Jesus, we, we need the commandments. They're the will of God. They're the character of God. We flourish in them. Okay, so listen to the way God talks about these commandments. Uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is the other place in, in the Old Testament where the, 
Ten Commandments are listed. Listen to verse 29. God says, oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Man, listen to God's heart there. That, that's the heart of a parent is just kind of, oh, that my kids would just, you know, do this so they would thrive, so they would flourish, so they would be blessed. But notice what he says, oh, that they had such a heart, okay? There's our first clue of where this is going. It's a heart issue, as is always, to fear me, okay? And remember in the Old Testament, when you see fear me, don't think, oh, man, I'm afraid of God like I'm afraid of snakes, you know? Uh, no, that, it's not it at all. Fear in the Old Testament is more of a reverence, an awe, uh, a magnificence. I see the magnificent glory of God in such a way that I want to keep his commandments. I want to be in line with his will. I want to draw near with him, to him. Then God says that it may go well with them, that it may go well with them, that they might be blessed, that they might flourish. The, the commands of God are the expressions of his character, and therefore they bring about flourishing in the life of his people. They are the right way that we relate with him. They are the right way that we approach him. And some of you might be asking, well, what about, what about not these 10? You know, they make sense. But what about the, all the other commandments in the Bible, all the sacrifices and all the, you know, the ceremonies and what we would call the ceremonial law? I don't know if you've ever heard that distinction made in the Old Testament. You have the moral law. Um, and then you have like the ceremonial law. So some of the commandments are, are morality based. Some of them are ceremonially based. Well, wait, you might say, well, what about all the ceremonial law? Well, listen, they're all fulfilled in Jesus. Like every one of them was pointing to Jesus, okay? So, so think about this, the sacrificial system, right? So after the Passover, they are to sacrifice these lambs. All right, should we still be sacrificing lambs? I don't know about you, but I don't have any sheep, all right? Are we in trouble? No, we're not in trouble. Why? Because all of that was doing what? It was just this neon sign pointing to Jesus who would be the Lamb of God, who would sacrifice his own self, and now being joined to Jesus, I fulfill that law, Right? All the, the high priestly stuff, the, the, all of that, right? The ceremonial law is all fulfilled in Christ. Romans 7 has this kind of cool picture. It uses marriage, really, as, as kind of the example. And he says, he says, likewise, my brothers, this is Romans 7, 4, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. And basically, Paul is using marriage as an illustration. A man is bound to his wife. A wife is bound to her husband as long as that other one lives. But if that other one dies, then you're free. You're free to be connected, joined to another, right? And he says, basically, you, you were bound to the old law until you died with Christ. And now you're alive to be joined to him. So obviously, the, the commands of the Bible are not irrelevant. They're not unimportant. The New Testament itself is full of commands, right? Honor your father and mother. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Make disciples of all nations. Forgive your brothers. Show, don't show partiality. Don't grumble against your neighbor. Be subject to the governing authority. Show hospitality. On and on and on we could go. So obviously, those are not irrelevant. They, they, they mean something, okay? Once joined to Christ's imputed righteousness, you can't have more righteousness or less righteousness. So they mean something, but, but they don't mean something about your justification. Okay, so, so don't think as a Christian 
You're like, wow, you know, I, I knocked it out of the park today, so I must have more righteousness than I did yesterday. And then the next day, you're like, you really blew it. And you're like, wow, I must have less of Jesus. Right? No, no, that's not the way it works. You're, you're righteous in Christ, in his imputed righteousness. But, but your fellowship, your communion, your sanctification, your pleasing God is deeply impacted by obeying God's commands. Let me read you some verses. Uh, John 15. John 15, verses uh, 10 and 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. As we read through these, I want you to, to kind of take note of, of the relationship between commandment keeping and love, Okay. So did you, did, you, did you see it there? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love. Okay, now go back in chapter John 14, uh, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Um, e- even the present passage we're actually in, in Exodus 20, um, verse 6, uh, hearkens to that. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me. And keep my commandments. See, it's not it's not changed. It's actually the same as it always was. John fourteen twenty one. Um, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. All right, it's, it's pretty clear, isn't it? In fact, when Jesus Himself was asked numerous times in the Gospels, "What's the greatest commandment?" What, what did He say? You remember what He said? He said what? Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, okay? So, so what, we, what we come to see is commandments do matter. They matter in our fellowship, our approach, our pleasingness to God. But, but, but now it comes out of love. It comes from the love of God, and, and it flows out of us for the love of God. 1 John 5, 3 is, is beautiful, It says this, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Okay, so this this is the love of God. This is when when we see how magnificent and wise he is, and we love him. Guess what? His commandments are no longer a chore they're no longer a, I got to do this. I got to check it off the list. I got to make myself. No, they're not that at all. God is not interested in that. God is interested in you seeing his glory, loving him. And the expression of that is you won't have idols. You'll, 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 you'll make him supreme in your life. You'll treat his name with reverence. You'll give him your time. You'll you'll honor and love people as he has loved you. You'll keep the commandments out of loving him and him loving you. Jason Meyer wrote a great article on this, and uh, I'm going to kind of summarize what what he said, but basically he, he speaks of God's commands are an invitation to enjoy fellowship, relationship with him, all right? Let me, let me try to give you an example of that. Okay? So, so God is calling us to himself, okay? But, but listen, you, you can't come and have fellowship with him if you're breaking his commandments, okay? We're not, I'm not talking justification. I'm just talking about fellowship, communion, relationship, right? 
So, so you, you can't come in here. Jesus told us in the New Testament, you can't come in here with a heart full of anger and bitterness and hatred towards somebody and be like, God, I'm going to worship you today. You can't draw near to God that way. Asher, I got my two little kids with me today. Um, my wife and my oldest, or oldest daughter at home. Okay, it's like third or fourth in line. I don't remember which. Anyway, they're gone, and so I just have two little ones that can't drive, and so I, I brought them with me this morning. So they were at church really early, and we have a 7 a.m. prayer time. Some guys, and you all are welcome, by the way, uh, over in the other building, and, and they, people, whoever shows up, we pray. And so um, we're in there, and, and Asher, we get up to go, and Asher's like, can I come, Dad? And I said, you bet. Man, I'd be great. Son, I want, I want you to come pray. But, but I said, but listen, listen, you, you can't be squirreling around, you know? You can't be playing on the phone. You can't, you can't be making noise. You can't be hopping around. You know, if you're going to come, come, come be with the men. I want you to, but you, you need to, right? You need to, right? isn't that what God's saying? Like, like, come in my presence, but you have to come this way and, and, and come and, and you'll be blessed. I think the same was true of Asher this morning. Man, I, I don't know what that's like for a six-year-old to come pray with the men, but man, we came in there and I didn't give him any other instructions and he was just sitting down watching for a while. And then I turned over, I looked over and pretty soon he's down on his knees and he's, he's leaning on the, just like all the other men were. And, and man, I, I got to think there's blessing in that for him, right? But you can only come this way. You know, if you, if you come in there with the men and, and, and to pray and you're, you're goofing around and yelling and hooping and hollering and jumping up, okay, this doesn't work. Now you've offended the Father, right? Now, now we, I, I can't have you in here doing that, son. You're still my boy. It didn't change that. But, but man, you, 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 you're not welcome that way. Okay, does that, does, that, does that give a little clarity to that? Does, that? does that give a little kind of maybe illustration to the commandments of God in the same way you can't fellowship with God while you're loving your idols, while you're treating God like a trivial thing, while you're, 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 you're being cruel to people. You can't fellowship with God while you have a murderous heart toward your neighbor or a lustful heart toward your neighbor's wife or a lying heart toward your neighbor. That, that triggers the discipline of God. And, and here's what the Bible would go on to say. If you find that that is the pattern of your life, the pattern of your life is idolatry and hatred and lust, and breaking his commands, man, you need to have a heart check. Are you really a believer? Are you really joined to Jesus? Here's what 1 John 2 says. 1 John 2, 3, and 4 says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And so if you find yourself just completely disregarding the commandments of God, well, that probably says something about your heart. As Christians, the commands must be obeyed out of love because of the love of God and by faith. Verse we've been looking at every Wednesday night. This is kind of our theme, Pastor Daniel's theme on Wednesday nights, Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Romans 14, 23, whoever does, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Listen, the Holy Spirit inside of a believer changes our heart, gives us a new heart. By, by the way, it's not just a New Testament thing. The Bible talked about it in the Old Testament as well. In Ezekiel 36, here's what God says he's going to do. He says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I'll put, I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. 
and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, that's commands, and to be careful to obey my rules. That, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit inside of us gives us a new heart and he changes all of those have-tos into want-tos. Isn't that beautiful? Like, that's what he does. He changes all the have-tos into want-tos. And now it's, it's not commandment-keeping so that I can be good enough to get to heaven. Now it's, I'm joined to Jesus. I'm overwhelmed with his beauty and his glory and his trustworthiness and his wisdom. And I believe he's right about everything. And I want to follow him. I want to be in fellowship with him. Okay, with that in mind, that was all introduction. (laughs) Number one, okay, here we go. We got to get that right. If we don't get that right, then this, is, this can be a disaster, okay? Number one, verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. Listen, there is only one way to approach God, and that is to approach him as supreme, as glorious, as the way, the truth, and the life, as the fountain of living waters, as the bread of life. Listen, you can't approach God as the second most important thing in your life. You can't do that. That's offensive. That is sin. That is idolatry. For you to say, well, man, God, you're, you're a lot better than golf and NASCAR and this and that, but I tell you what, my family comes first, and then, God, you're right there second. That is idolatry. You, you, have, you have messed up the world. You've messed up your family. You, you can't approach God that way. Remember, remember in the New Testament when Jesus says, whoever, whoever loves father and mother more than me, whoever loves brother and sister more than me, you know, you, you got not worthy of me. You got to hate, he said at one point, you got to hate your father. And what was he? He was bringing home this first commandment. You, you, you can't approach God as the third best thing in your life. You can't approach God as, man, I really admire you, God. You're, you're really something. You're right up there with, with uh, you know, General Custer, you know? Man, that, You can't can't approach God that way. He is either your king, your Lord, your supreme treasure, or you're at odds with him. Romans chapter 1 is uh, one of the best chapters in the Bible for idolatry. And beginning in verse 21, you've you've heard me come back to this over and over again. Man, it's a meaningful passage to me. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. They became foolish. Their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. Basically, that, that passage says, here's the root of sin. Here's the root of sin is idolatry. It's mankind saying, God, I'm not impressed with you. I'm impressed with all of these other things. I'm impressed with, with all, all this other stuff in my life, but I'm not impressed with you. And I want other stuff beside you. That is broken. And it ends up defiling you and controlling you and puppeting you. Man, what, think about this. What controls your mood? What controls your, uh, your attitude? What, what are you chained to? How about, how about some of these? Success, marriage, family, career, fame, possessions, money, a person, rescuing a person, being rescued, romance, sex, accomplishments, being made much of, being oogled over, comfort, ease, retirement, winning. Any of those? Like if, if those things are the thing 
that defines your mood. So if I, if I don't have one of those, man, the family is on tiptoes because dad's out of sort. I've got an idol. Those things should not be the supreme thing in my life. In Exodus 20, verse 5, it said, it says, God is a jealous God. You see that? You shall, shall not bow down to them or serve them, for he, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, now normally jealousy is, is bad, most of the time with us. Okay? With God, it's good. Okay? He's not okay with your life being wrapped up with something besides him. He's not okay with your happiness being tied to something besides him. He's not okay with you making much over everything but him. Now, now in a way, we can understand that. So, so we go to marriage, and if, if a wife is, is dutifully there when her husband comes home at night, but she's absolutely bored with him, she shows no interest in knowing him or being known by him, and, and when another man comes over, she comes alive, she gets all dressed up, she hangs on the other man's every word, she plans time to be with the other man, she enjoys every minute of conversation with the other man, she's visibly excited when he arrives and visibly sad when he leaves. The husband's not okay with that. And, we, and we're like, oh, yeah, I get that. But honestly, that's... That's a so-so illustration, okay? It's not a perfect one. You know why it's not a perfect one? The husband might be a jerk, you know? Like he, he, might, he might be neglectful of his, of his wife. He, 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 might, he might actually be imagining the whole thing in his mind. You know, he, it might be an ego trip for him, okay? But, but when we take it back to God, God is always right, in his desire for our supreme attention and worship because he is the perfect husband. He has loved us with an everlasting love, with a steadfast, eternal, sacrificial love. He's been merciful. He has delivered us. He has redeemed us. He has been gracious to us. He has plucked our feet out of the fires of hell and set us in the heavens, joined to the riches of Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He is eternally good, and being devoted to him supremely is the best thing for my life and everybody in my life. And so it's perfect for him to be jealous. Whenever we give ourselves to idols, it is our destruction, our misery. Number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Don't create for yourself a God. Don't, don't, don't shape for yourself out of your imagination and your creativity something that you believe. This is what they did with the golden calf, right? They, they shaped a calf out of gold and said, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. No, no, it's not. I think this is one of the most broken commands in America. People who, who reject the God who is revealed in the scriptures and instead fashion for themselves, carve out for themselves a God who looks like them. I was, I was talking to somebody this, this last couple of weeks about a thorny issue in the scriptures. I know it's thorny. I know it's hard to understand. But, but here's, here's the way I approach the scriptures. God is who the Bible says he is. Okay, do not approach the scriptures of, well, man, I know the Bible says that, but I, mean, I just don't think God would do that. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Does your God look like you? I hope not. You're in trouble. Well, my God wouldn't send anybody to hell. I don't know who you're talking about now. Where, where, did, where did you get this God? The trinket shelf in Palm Beach? 
You know, I mean, where'd you get him? Is that that's not the Bible? That's not the God revealed to us in the Scriptures. Number three, don't take God's name in vain. How do you talk about God? Whenever you talk about something, you are representing them. You're representing their wisdom, their stature, their glory, their fame, their worthiness. How do you use your words when you describe God? We try to help here, don't we? Songs that we sing, they're they're all songs that seek to do what? Magnify, right? We need to use our words. We need to use our voice to describe the glory and the worth of God. He is holy, he is glorious, he is creator, he's the sustainer of every molecule in existence. It is only through him that we live and breathe and our heart beats. The nations of the world are like a drop in a bucket to him, like dust on the scales. You should not treat him like a small and insignificant thing. You should not trifle with God. It's just incredible. The amount, the amount of using God's name in vain in our culture. You turn on the television, and it's just constant. Why? Have you ever asked yourself why? Like why, why, why don't, when people hit their hand with a hammer, why don't sometimes, one-fourth of the time, why don't they cry out Muhammad, Allah? Confucius, Gandhi, oh, Gandhi. Well, I think it's demonic. That's my only answer. Why, why people would use the name of Jesus the Christ in a violent, vain way as, as an exclamation of anger, lust, why would you do that? Demons is my only example. I mean, that, that literally is the only thing I can come up with. Is It is a demonic strategy that in our culture, the name of the king of kings would be used in a derogatory manner. How do you speak of him? Not, not just in cursing, but how do you speak of him? How do you sing of him? How do you talk of him? You'll notice... Did you notice at the end of the Exodus passage, right after the Ten Commandments, it says, when all the people saw thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet, this is verse 18, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood afar off. Said to Moses, you speak to us, we'll listen, but don't don't let God speak to us lest we die. I mean, there's this reverence. I mean, God speaks and the mountain quakes and thunders and lightning and peals of fire and explosions. The word of God. But in Hebrews, it says this, for you've not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you, you have come to Mount Zion 
and to the city of the living God, and to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In other words, you have approached something much greater than Mount Sinai. We should tremble at the word of Jesus. Number four, Sabbath. This this really demands probably a multitude of sermons if if you're hung up on it. Um, The the Sabbath is is a trickier command, I guess, in explanation. Uh, Really, it's not, I don't think, in practice. Um, I think we have to be careful about jumping into legalism and numbers. The Sabbath is described as um, a sign of the covenant, much like circumcision was. Uh, the New Testament church began to meet on the Lord's Day, Sunday. Um, the, the New Testament is very clear that we not judge or make this a matter of some kind of uh, uh, merit. So let me read you some verses, Romans 14, 5, and 6. One person esteems one better, one day better than another, while another seems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes a day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats in honor of the Lord. In other words, it's not saying don't observe the day. It's saying do, but, but don't be judging people about which day or what day or how they observe it, but rather it's a matter of the heart. Galatians 4, 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Colossians 2, 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow. Remember we talked about that before. The ceremonial law was a shadow of Christ fulfilling it, a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Yet, having said that, there certainly are principles that all of your time belongs to the Lord. All of it, actually. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Should, should you set aside a day for corporate worship, for gathering with the saints, for building up the body of Christ? Absolutely. You should not do it as some sort of merit system. You should do it because you love him. I was talking to a church member this week, and he did not know what I was preaching, by the way. This was just like a gift from God, but he was in my office, and he just happened to be there. And older guy, uh, hasn't been a Christian actually too long. Um, but, but he said this, he said, he was talking about COVID-19. He said, man, he said, I just, I just love to be at church, uh, with, 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 with the saints, with, with my church family. He said, I love to come early. He's like, I'm always telling my wife, we got to go. We got to go. He says, I want to be there when the band is rehearsing. You know, he said, I want to hear that. He says, I want to be able to talk to people. I want to be able to, you know, I want to be able to get around and, and visit. And I, I want to be in the proper heart. I don't want to be hurried when the word of God, I mean, he just, and he was saying all of that, not, not out of, boy, this, this is the way you ought to do it. I'm, I, everybody else doesn't do it. It's not, it's not spiritual. Now he was saying that like, man, I want to be first in line for the dessert. Because I want to make sure I get some of that pecan pie. And I want to make sure the whipped cream isn't gone, you know? I mean, that's the spirit he was saying. It's like, man, I love, I love to set aside a day. I work the rest, six days I work, man, on Sunday, I want to be in the presence of the Lord with the saints, worshiping. That's, that's a great spirit toward the Sabbath. Are you going to heaven? 
Are your sins forgiven? Are you righteous? I'm thinking many of you will say yes. My next question, why? How do you know? How you answer that is incredibly significant. The answer of I'm trying my best, I'm trying to be a good person, I'm better than a lot of people, all those are answers that show you have rejected the king of kings. The only way a person can be righteous before God is by seeing the glory of Jesus, his son, God's son, who kept all the commandments, who was righteous to his father in every way, who lived the life that you and I have not lived, and then who died a death on the cross as payment for our sins. It is only by repenting of sin and being joined by faith to that Jesus that one can be righteous. I hope that is your answer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, uh, the law keeper. (laughs) God, we are thankful for Jesus, the righteous one, for Jesus, the holy one, for Jesus, the one who has made atonement for our sins, the one who has brought us into the family of God, the one who is able to justify by his own perfect life. Father, thank you for Jesus. Lord, please draw us to yourself this morning. God, I pray that we might have fellowship with you, that we might obey your commands out of love and by faith. Father, make us, make our hearts right. In Christ's name, amen.